0: All right, so welcome to our one-week celebration of the year of shelter in place, which of course our time with that is not yet over, but um, it's been a long haul, and so my hope for this week, I'll say more after the meditation, but my hope for this week is that we just have a chance to connect around practice and the Dharma and how it has served us in this year and what it's teaching us about this amazing human life that we're all going through together. And I, I think I'll start by sharing a word I just learned. It was recently invented, a corona <laughs> right? That's what we're celebrating, the corona There's Randy, hello, Preeti, nice. Okay, so um, my hope for these days is that uh, we'll start out with um, some meditation and then I'll offer some reflections and then we'll have a chance for smaller large group discussion um, because this is really a kind of a group activity together. So let's start out by sitting just so we can arrive. So, everyone could please find a posture that's comfortable for sitting. We'll just be sitting for, you know, 10 minutes or so. So whatever feels comfortable, easy, just allowing your eyes to close gently. Maybe taking a couple of long, slow deep breaths, and on the out-breath, allowing the body to soften, settle around that upright spine. Maybe encouraging the face to relax particularly the eyes and the eye sockets, which tend to get a little tight when we're looking at the screen. Down into the shoulders. softening the chest and the heart area. Maybe even breathing through the heart area. And down into the belly, allowing that to be soft. Letting go of any bracing in the legs. Where I am, there's a fair amount of wind whipping by outside and I just have this sense of sitting still and relaxed while the wind swirls around us. Kind of like we can sit in the stability of our practice, our mind, heart, even as the changes of life swirl around us. Noble posture. Amid all the change. Then taking care that the mind is also upright and relaxed like the body. So bringing some alertness, but also gentleness to the way the mind meets experience, meets the body, meets the thoughts, finding a stance of both rest and awareness. Without getting caught up. And perhaps noticing that even if the mind is a little busy or a little sleepy after lunch, there is a part of the mind that can just rest with that. It's less about the exact experience we're having than our relationship to it. That's where the suffering or the freedom is. This can bring a sense of ease. Knowing that Right here is the possibility of being free. It doesn't have to be created out there. Okay, so welcome. I see a few more people have come in. Um, so, this is this series for this week called One Year Hence. We're celebrating, if you will, a year of the coronavirus and all the other things that have come along with this big change that we're going through. Um, as I mentioned before this sitting, I heard this new term, coronaversary, which I think is pretty good, um, that we're going through. So the aim for this week is to touch into some Dharma teachings that uh, support us in this um, time of change and the, uh, what we've been going through and what we may continue to go through. So we'll have a short sit. It might be a little longer on the other days. Um, We have a little more talking today. And then uh, I'll offer some reflections on on the Dharma. And then there will be a chance for either small or large group discussion. It will kind of depend on the day. But this is meant to be also a time of connecting with others in in the Dharma. So the situation that we've been in for the last year is somewhat similar to, it's relevant, let's say, to the Buddha's quest for awakening. And um, I want to read a little quote from a sutta where he describes his own quest. He talks about his own path to awakening in the first person in this sutta. And one of the things he says is, Before my enlightenment, while I was still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, I, being myself subject to birth, sought what was also subject to birth. Being myself subject to aging, sickness, death, sorrow, and defilement, I sought what was also subject to these things. But then I considered, why, being myself subject to birth, aging, sickness, death, sorrow, and defilement, would I seek what is also subject to those things. Suppose instead I were to seek that which is not subject to these things. So that which is unaging, unailing, deathless, sorrowless, and undefiled, the supreme security from bondage, Nibbana. So he realizes that he's On a quest for things that aren't any different than what he already has. (laughs) And the the typical things that we seek in life, um, and which are fine things to seek in some sense, um, you know, things like a career, a family, certain possessions, uh, experiences, vacations of various kinds, um, skills, all of these things, which are many of which are fine, nonetheless, they can go away quite easily, can't they? Um, something can change quite quickly and those things are not available to us in one way or another, either through a change in our body or through a change in the situation outside. Um, Quite suddenly, you might not be able to go to your favorite restaurant, you know, Um, and not that that's probably going to make or break any one of our lives, but uh, these things are subject to change anything can change, and probably will. So the Buddha dared to ask a very unusual question. He said, what could I seek that didn't have this property, that didn't have this quality of being able to go away? Is there something that's like that? Um, And then he thought, well, probably the place to look for that is going to be in my own mind. Uh, He realized that all those things he could see outside had that quality, so he at least started from the right place. Um, It's probably why he was able to complete the job, but he realized that it was going to have to be something in his own heart and mind uh, that he would seek, so I want to share a few, uh, just a few vignettes of um, people I know, these are all friends of mine, Um, and I've Maybe changed a couple details, but none of them are like people in this community, so don't worry about that. Um, but they're all people who have found this year of pandemic to be enormously supportive for their practice, and you. Um, so I want to, and they they have very different lives, and all of them found it to be supportive. They're all longtime practitioners, so I just want to share as kind of a vision of what's possible. So one of my one of these folks is a doctor in another state. And he started this year uh, by getting COVID because he was working in a hospital and didn't have adequate protection at the very beginning of it. And so he got it and he's in his 30s, I believe, close to 40. Um, And so he was fortunate and managed to recover just fine. He didn't get long COVID and he recovered just fine. Um, He's been incredibly busy for the year. Incredibly busy. Um, He's settled into a routine of taking one week on where he works crazily and then one week off. That's how he's found it to work for him. Um, And his practice has advanced tremendously in meeting the pandemic. He has still managed to serve as an online retreat manager during some of the weeks when he's been off. And he's been studying Dharma texts to quiet his mind along with Caring for a lot of sick people. So it's been a good year for his practice. Another person is in a very different situation, in a very different stage of life. She's in her 70s and retired. She lives with one of her adult sons because he has a, um, a mental dis- dif- disability of a certain kind. So she's not totally secluded. Um, but still, she couldn't see her grandchildren for this whole year, which was hard for her. Um, but nonetheless, she's a long-time practitioner, so she took the opportunity to be on retreat a lot of the time. She just started sitting, and she listened to Dharma talks, and she's been on a number of formal retreats, and she's also listened to the Dharma and gone out walking in nature. So. Uh, it was also a year of tremendous advance in her practice. She feels like she really understood much more of the Dharma than she did before. With all this time on her hands. And then a third friend of mine uh, is about sixty and still working. Um, so, but his work, of course, transitioned immediately to being all online. He couldn't visit his elderly mother, who's in her nineties. Um, that was hard. Um, But nonetheless, his life um, was full with his uh, wife and his adult child who's still living with them. And he learned through this pandemic to be with family, with work, with practice, all just being full and living at home, doing all of that together. So he did some home retreat, he didn't have quite as much time as my friend who is retired. But he found that this middle road of having to bring his practice right into family and work and all of his responsibilities advanced his practice tremendously. So every single one of these people found a way that the Dharma just blossomed in them during this time. This can happen when we're in situations that are quite intense. If, we're, um, if we bring the practice to that, it has a way of just um, deepening deepening the practice. So every circumstance in life is a great opportunity for Dharma practice. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor this year or retired or working from home on the computer all day. Um, It's a great time. If we're waiting for better conditions to practice, there aren't any, this is it. (laughs) Whatever you're doing right now, this is the best conditions for practice. So we begin to realize you know, as we live our life, as we do more and more, bring the Dharma more and more into our life, that it's really our mind, you know, that determines whether or not we're happy or whether we're suffering and how we're going along with our days. So I have this um, quote well-known from the Dhammapada, first two verses. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a corrupt mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So there's a sense that it's the mind that's the primary place for our happiness or our freedom or our suffering. <laughs> Those are different directions we can go. But I think overall, it's, it's a relief, I think, to know that it's in the mind, um, hopeful, because then we don't have to go out and create it somewhere else. There may be uh, the need to change some of our circumstances, but looking at the world over the last year, how much control do you feel like you have over making the world a certain way? We can do things and we should um, out of compassion, but really, really the world is not under our control. Um, But to some degree, we can influence our mind Seems a little more doable, doesn't it, when we look at that compared to everything out there? So yes, the mind um, is the is the field for cultivation. Now it may be that we look at our mind and we also say, "Oh my gosh, my mind is also looking quite out of control." Okay, fair enough. But fortunately, um, the practices that were given in the Dharma and the teachings. Uh, are known to work. They've worked for thousands of years. And even if we've only practiced for a little while, most likely we've seen that there is some good benefit that comes even even almost immediately from uh, from our practice. So we can um, start to have a sense that, okay, this territory is at least uh, possible. (laughs) It's possible, it seems doable whereas I look in the outer world and I think impossible to set that up the way I the way I really want it to be. There's too much to do. So if we get the sense that when we get the sense that our situation is workable, that is the birth of what's called sadha in our practice, which is variously translated as trust or confidence or faith. And you can pick which one of those words resonates the most. Some Some of those don't work for some people, uh, which is fine. But um, wisdom and faith, or mind and heart, somehow are are often seen to mutually enrich each other on the Buddhist path. And that we, um, as we start to work with the mind, the heart has a way of coming in and supporting that. And we're going to need our heart. along the way, but the heart alone may not be sufficient. It may get overwhelmed. And so we need the wisdom of the mind. And these, these two together are like wings that can together help us. So where does all of this lead as faith and wisdom mutually enrich each other into kind of a powerful combination? <clears throat> they lead to liberation. You know, this is the this is the path. This is what the Buddha found. It's what he offered to us. So the, the Buddha found what he was seeking. He found what is unaging, unailing, undefiled, the supreme security from bondage. And then he shared that through practices and teachings. And so, with our own sense of trust and confidence, and knowing that our very life is the exact best circumstances for the cultivation, we can go forward. This is from Sharon Salzberg from her book, just simply entitled Faith. Anything outside of us can crumble into dust. No symbol, no construction, no condition, no relationship, no life is immune to change. What can any of us place our faith in that endures? according to buddhist teachings to discover that is to know the deepest level of faith so there's a way in which awakening and faith are the same thing <laughs> so you're invited to play with this during this week are these this play off of heart and mind together so my wish for each of our sessions is to have some touching into a a deep truth of the Dharma. Today we looked at the primacy of the mind and the changeability of outer circumstances along with a heart quality, today faith or trust. And we'll see throughout the week, you can make almost any pairing of these things, by the way, so the ones that I've chosen you don't have to consider to be um, absolute pairs. But so each day we'll have a a wisdom quality and a heart quality to develop and play off of each other and to reflect on together. So I'd like now for us to um, go into small groups. So I'm gonna um, make some breakout groups. Um, Some days we'll have small groups like that and some days we'll have a larger group discussion. So just so you can reflect on it since I need a moment to make the breakout groups. Here's the question. (laughs) In what way or ways has this year of shelter in place supported or advanced your dharma practice? So um, you'll be in small groups. Make sure each person contributes, but in you know, in what ways has this year of shelter in place supported or advanced your dharma practice? You can think about that for a moment while I set them up. Okay, so please make sure everyone contributes and let's start with the person whose name is alphabetically first. And let's see, you'll have, let's say 10 minutes in the group and then we'll have some um, debrief together afterwards. Okay, so enjoy. Okay, so welcome back. I'm curious um, if anybody would like to uh, share anything about what you shared or learned or were surprised by. Yeah, yeah Patty and then um yeah thank you first of all for teaching this this is really great um and uh i mean just at the beginning i just like how you oriented the question right like how has our practice or been supported or advanced you know i am i'm disappointed with how often i hear people refer to this as the lost year um i that's just just in general, um, uh, but in terms of our practice, this was just a good orientation to think of it that way. Um, so I, you know, I've been doing jail sits. I did the um, ISC retreat uh, in December. Often I can't because I travel near that time. Um, so, um, so thank you, thank you for setting, <laughs> just like setting my mind on the right path just to, just to begin with. So that was helpful. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. R.I.G.
1: Well, first, I just want to say, I appreciate um, this offering because I, I feel like it's really valuable to reflect on this past year, especially through a dharmic lens because there's definitely lessons to learn, uh, to yeah. share. Um, and then this was sort of towards the end of our session. Um, one of the people mentioned about uh, their gardens you know just being so beautiful and made me think that I've been home for a year usually I do a lot of traveling um, but I you know last time I got on an airplane was February 27th so it's been over a year and there's actually I mean there was some resistance to being here uh, at times you know I, I do tend to flee like the winter the rain and stuff but there was something really sweet about being here all four seasons in my home. It's this quality of staying and being and appreciating, you know, just I, my home feels different now after really being here and, and uh, feeling it, filling it for this time and my garden as well. So um, yeah, there's something about sitting, staying, you know, that's for a year. It's a nice, a powerful. Yeah. Thank
2: you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. That's quite beautiful. Can I say? Yeah, please, Ida.
2: Yeah, but I kind of feel that being at home in my own, uh, in my own house, basically, I would simplify, simply say, in the four walls surrounded, four walls, uh, um, you got the another sense of. Um, the place kind of stable place comfort comforting place and um, you have your own bed you lay in the bed it's comforting comforting and with all this what happened through the year and for the past year you have to i have to push myself to get out of the house and mm-hmm. do simple tasks and uh, i all i I, and I try to do it. I try to push myself and be ready for the life, the, the ones before before pandemic, because it's so easy to be uh, in a comfortable zone. It's so easy. I want to get out of that zone. And I, I want to just experience uh, pleasantry of normal life. So, and that's become a challenge. Mm. That's all I want to say.
0: Okay thank you yeah it's it's complex right
2: it's complex um,
0: and somehow it's the relationship to where we are that um where we have some degree of control about you know whether we see the home as comfortable but then too comfortable or you know um, <laughs> confining or or liberating yeah it's Oh, to work within the mind and heart but thank you i think yeah a lot of these feelings we felt deborah
3: i'll do a both band and it's um been very challenging because i've not had solitude and i like solitude um and i live in a um environment that you hear everything um so on the one hand there's been some stress there on the other hand i live near the ocean and rather than running around as much as I tend to, being being home more, I ended up in, in just to get off Zoom, uh, doing daily walks and taking just incredible pictures. And I've discovered haiku and I'm completely inspired there. And so it's opened up something that was right in my backyard that's been here all along that I would just occasionally go see and It's, and I knew conceptually, you know, how blessed am I to have access to the water like that, but I did not really embrace it the way I have now. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of, uh, learning how to be connected to place in a way that, you know, we think of freedom as I can get on a plane anytime, but, um, Gosh, there's so much to be unfolded right where we are, in a sense. Yeah, if we choose to look that way. All right, is there any, uh, any last comments? We're near our time for today. Okay. Well, you're welcome to join any of the days this week um, that you can and, and want to. And We're going to be here at this same time tomorrow. So be well until then. Take care. Feel free to unmute and say goodbye. Bye. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thank you.
2: Bye. Bye. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, everybody.
1: Uh, Thank you, Kim.